You are certainly welcome to do that. We're going to be moving further through the Sermon on the Mount today, and it's going to be a great time of Jesus teaching us about prayer and about what it means and how we should do it. Has anyone ever asked you, how's your prayer life? Um, if you've never been asked that question, well, maybe that's good because it's an awkward question. Like, um, it's a question that may bring up like guilt, okay? Or like for you, I don't know if, if, if you've ever thought about prayer as like, Mostly in the context of, man, I should do that more, you know, um, or maybe feeling like you are missing out on something. Um, wherever you come from in your prayer, your relationship with prayer, whether you come from it and you're just you're in it and you love it. And it's a conversation with God that's growing and meaningful and, and, and powerful. Whether you're sitting here and you may say, I feel nothing when I pray. I feel nothing. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. I don't know anything about anything related to prayer. Whether you're wanting to grow in your prayer, your relationship with God through prayer, I hope that wherever you're at today, that we could together really make a step closer to our good parent in heaven, to our good dad in heaven. We could draw closer to our, to our God and to be able to be in relationship that's deeper, that's closer, that's more meaningful, and that affects how we actually live in the world, because that's what prayer is supposed to be about. So what I'm going to do is we're going to go through what's called the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. But before we do that, I'm actually going to pray it for you, and we're going to pray it together. And then at the end, we're going to pray it again in a paraphrase kind of version, okay, just to give you an idea of where we're going. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're going to close our eyes, and we're going to bow our heads, Again, not because that's a magical thing, right? But because it's a thing to get quiet, to actually sit for a moment, to actually not be distracted. And hopefully at Hope Springs, as you're here, hopefully one of the things that you're doing is learning how to pray, learning how to connect with God in this thing called prayer. If you've been with us for a while, you know that as you're Eyes are closed, and as your heads are bowed, you need to breathe, and breathe deeply. Breathe from your belly. And I would invite you to actively and to consciously let go of whatever distractions might be in your mind, whatever might be rattling around in there. You might have stuff to do today. Might have a busy week coming up. Might have pain that you're bringing in through the door. I want you to just take a moment and actively, consciously let go and get quiet. Now we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together now in our time of reflection. And I'm going to say each line... And I'm just going to let some silence happen in between, okay? So I want to invite you, as, I, as we pray this prayer, what does this prayer mean in your life? What does it mean that we would pray it to just reflect, to sit with the words and what they mean? Our Father in heaven,
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, would you teach us what this prayer means, how we might hang our prayer life upon it, how all of our prayers, while they might not be those specific words, and they will be those specific words, that all of our, all of our heart, all of our relationship with you would flow out of the incredible prayer that your son Jesus taught us to pray. It's in his name and it's for his kingdom's sake that we pray it. Amen. Amen. All right, so in the previous chapter, Jesus told us what we should do in chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5. Here in chapter 6, Jesus is going to speak directly to our motivations, to our intentions as to why we do things. So chapter 5, a lot about what we do. Chapter 6, a lot about why and what's underneath. Both matter. What you do matters. What you don't do matters. Why you do what you do matters. Why you don't do what you don't do matters. It all matters. All of it. And so Jesus is going to teach us a little bit about religion in this text. A lot about prayer and about how we connect with God. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 1. Here's what he says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Some people render this, be careful of your righteousness. Notice how, he, how Jesus even phrases this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. This idea that we would practice something, that our spiritual practice, that what we give or how we serve or what we do would be done in front of people to be seen by them. That they would think that we have it all together. That someone would think something good about us. And I don't know how this text will hit you specifically, but I know how it hits me. And I know that if I'm honest with myself and with my friends here, that a lot of my life, and I think a lot of our life, is done for the benefit of other people. Done for appearances. And what people will see, what they will hear, what they will think. 
Jesus says, if you go after being seen, you won't be seen by the one who matters. Because doing things in a way to be seen by people bankrupts your spiritual life. Notice that he says, to be seen. It's important what Jesus does not say here. Jesus does not say, don't practice righteousness at all. He he doesn't say, don't do the work. Do the work. Do the work. Do the righteousness. Give. Serve. It's not that, and we're going to go on to another text that will suggest this as well, but it's, it's not like you have to like hide. What, what, what you need to hide from is your own ego. <laughs> not from the actual visuals. What does he say? He says, be careful you don't practice it so that you will be seen. Now you will be seen. He said in the passage before, he said, let your light so shine that people would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the last chapter. Jesus is not going to contradict himself this, like in the very next chapter. Do the work. But why are you doing the work? Jesus says. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why are you doing the spiritual work that you're doing? Why are you doing the vocational work that you're doing? Why are you doing the schoolwork that you're doing? And why are you proving yourself in this way or in that to this person or that person to be seen? Jesus says, if, you, if you're doing stuff to be seen, if you're doing it for that motive to be noticed, where does this come from? This is as old as we, all of us are, as children. What do children want? What do children most look at me? Look at me, right? Look at me. Any of you who have been around children who have, or who have been, been a child, which is all of us, know that if you're around a little kid, one of the most common things, look, 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 notice, notice, see me. Do you see? Mom, do you see? Dad, do you see? Some teacher, do you see? Friend, do you see? Do you see? Do you see me? You know, some of us, as we grew up, we just learned to do that without, like, saying the, the, the quiet part out loud, like kids do, you know? Some of us are living our lives to say, look, 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 look. We're living our life with our, with our spouse or our significant other. We're living our life with our kids or our friends or our neighbors. We're living our life at work or at play. And we're saying, look at, like, can I be noticed? Can I be seen? Now, this is how we were wired. Like, there's nothing wrong with wanting that, that thing behind the thing behind the thing. But what is the thing at the bottom of all the things? It is, are we seen by our good parent in heaven? Look at what he says. If you do all this to be seen by people, to get your significance and your worth and your value from how people are seeing you, then you can't get it from the real place where you actually get it, which is your Father in heaven. It's an amazing, powerful thing. He says, if if you think the reward, the boon, the treasure here is like treasure, well then, okay. But what's the most valuable thing in our existence? To be known and to be loved. Jesus has already called us children of God. He's already called us salt of the earth and light of the world. I don't need to run after the significance. I don't need to do these things to be seen. Look at verse 2. So when you give to the needy, he says, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Now, this was not quite hyperbole in Jesus' time. 
Like, you would literally have people get together the band to say, like, like have you heard the phrase, toot your own horn? That was a literal thing, you know? Like, that we would announce with clanging cymbals and throw a party and say, look at us, we're the ones. We're the ones, we did it. Look at how amazing it is that we did this or did that thing. Let's do a marketing campaign to talk about how awesome we are, you know? Jesus says, okay, truly I tell you, they've received the reward in full. They will be honored. Maybe the things that you're doing are great. But notice what Jesus says. It's not that, it's not that the reward is nothing. You can get attention from other people. But what is Jesus saying? The attention that you'll get from other people will not be enough. No matter how much it is. No matter how big the crowd is. No matter how much the accolades are. No matter how many pats on the back you get. It will never be enough if you don't have the first significance from God. This can happen in churches. This can happen in organizations. This can happen everywhere. If the reward you want is attention, you'll get it. But that will be it. He says when you give to the needy, this means anything you could give. You could give your money. You can give your time. You can give your talents. You can give any of your resources as a person to anyone who needs anything. There are no rules here. Jesus is saying, give. It's not if you give, give. Do the righteousness. Do the work. But it matters why you do it. Does it matter why you do it for the other people? Yes and no. It matters mostly for you. Mostly for your own heart. For your own identity. For your own worth and value. As a child of God. Don't market your giving, he says, like the hypocrites. The people who are acting do. But look at what he says in verse 3. But when you give to the needy, again, really notice this has very little to do with anyone else, right? When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I used to take this as like literally you have to try to find a way that no one knows what you're giving, which is great. And do that too. But who's, who's the most, who's the person that Jesus most wants you to not know you're giving? You. <laughs> don't let your left hand know what you're right. He's not saying don't let, you know, person A or the people down the street not know. He's saying it's more internal than that. It's actually the person that's most dangerous to you is you. <laughs> right? The person who can ruin your spiritual work of giving, of serving. It's not all these people you might be worried about. It's not them. Remember the song, Us and Them? It's not the them that's the problem. It's the us that is the problem. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the, this is the heavy irony to this text. Because Jesus did all kinds of stuff out in the open. And his followers will do all kinds of stuff out in the open. The secret is in here. That's, that's where he wants you to keep it secret. And what he means is that when you do your good works, when you do your giving, that you're not, in the story you're telling yourself is not, check me out. Like, like you know that internal like chanting of your name? Michael, Michael, you're doing amazing. Like, 
It's just that chanting in your head and in your heart that can be poison to your spiritual journey. Look at how internal this is. There's no self-congratulation for the people who are following Jesus. There's not even meant to be a self-consciousness after doing something great. Doing something great doesn't even enter into our minds when we are already significant, when we are already loved. Giving in secret means that I'm not giving with any ulterior motive. I'm not giving to be seen. I'm not giving to be significant because I'm already significant. Now the reward that Jesus is referencing here is is best described in this context of a parent-child relationship. What's the most incredible thing that a father could give to his children, that a mother could give to her children? It's that when they say, look, do you see? I see. I see you're loved. You're cared for. You don't have to spin the plates and convince anyone of anything. You are loved. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 5. Kind of the bulk, the meat, if there's not already enough meat in those four verses for us. This is verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the actors. Don't be like all the people with the masks on a stage. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, the Jewish tradition that Jesus is a part of frowned upon loud, ostentatious prayers in public. But quiet ones were said all the time in public. In fact, you can even see this in Jerusalem today. If you were to walk around Jerusalem, you'd hear people praying out loud in like all different languages to all different places and all over the place. It was a common thing to pray aloud and on the street corners and to look really humble. But Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't pray to be seen. You know, you can even pray in private so that you'll have something to talk about when someone asks you, how's your prayer life? You know, or how's your relationship with God going? I did that for a while. Like managed a great growing prayer life so that I'd have something to say. When someone asked me, how's your spirit? I'm so spiritual, you just don't even know. I mean, like, it's amazing. Check out my prayer journal. It's filled. I kept my appointments. It's all great. Do you see how, how our motives can be all twi- just all twisted inside? How we can love to pray in front of people. Actually, I'm a pastor. I don't like praying in front of you all. Can I be honest? I don't like it. <laughs> Tell your friends, you know. Um, there's a pastor over there that doesn't like praying like in public. It's a weird thing. But like, what I hope that when we get together and when we pray together, I hope you're praying. You know? That's why we do so much reflection here. That's why I'm hoping to act more as a guide than as the, the one you come to on how, and I know one's doing this here. Great job. Um, but like that you would learn to pray. That we would engage with God together in an honest way, not to prove something to someone. I remember being younger and I would, this is how disconnected you can be from your prayer life. So prayer is speaking to God and it's supposed to be this you know, connection, this meaningful personal thing, and I just remember sitting in church gatherings, and maybe you've sat in this church gathering and done this, and if you can, if you have, there's no judgment here, but I remember sitting in, in, in church gatherings, and the pastor praying and praying and praying, and just be like, amen, amen, just say amen, just say amen, just not even thinking about what he's saying, not even, not caring, and just like, I, I want to get out of here, you know, just say amen so we can all go home, you know, I did, what, let's talk to God honestly, 
Let's talk to him openly. Let's talk to him in words that make sense to us. If the thing that's inside is ugly, let it out. If the thing that's inside is sad, let it out. Don't pray with holy words in holy places and think that you'll receive anything. What are your motives? Look at in verse 6 what he says. But when you pray, instead of acting, instead of praying out loud for the amusement of others, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And again, that reward. When you pray, go into your room and close the door. This, this word for room in Jesus' time is so amazing. I, felt, I didn't know this before. So the room that Jesus is talking about, the word for the room that he's talking about, is the supply room. Okay, that's why it's sometimes translated closet in English translations. Have you heard this? Go in your closet, shut the door. Well, why is that? Like, we think, okay, that's kind of weird. Like, kind of weird. What does that really mean? It's kind of, it's dark in there. Okay, what, so it's quiet. It, okay, but what Jesus is talking about is the only room in the house that had a lock on the door. So in the ancient world, you, the, the, where you'd protect your things is in the supply room. And the supply room was the only room in the house that would be locked. So when Jesus says go into the supply closet and lock, he really means get by yourself. He really means that this is not about how anyone would hear what you're doing, this kind of prayer that he's talking about. He's talking about going into your room, closing the door, and going into like the cave, you know? Now I would take this as a metaphor and I'd even take it further. If you want to go home after this and pray in, with a, in a room with a locked door, go for it. But the point, the thing behind the thing behind the thing here is that you need to go into the supply room of your heart and of your mind and of your soul. You actually need to go further than the locked door. Because God is spirit and truth unseen and he sees the unseen. In our motives, in our hearts, in our intentions, he sees. Now some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about. But your mind can be so cluttered and so noisy that you could go into a room, lock the door, sit down, close your eyes, and just in your mind, right? That, that's, you got to go further. <laughs> you have to go further. If you sit down and you close your eyes, or when we get together here and you close your eyes and your mind's just on anything else but connecting with God. Jesus is saying we, gotta, we have to breathe and we have to get quiet and we have to go into a secret place. And the secret place is the place that no one else goes. The unseen. You know, some of us will need a great deal of shutting up and being quiet. A lot of work with our breathing and with our cluttered and noisy minds to even go into that room with the lock on the door. There's another problem. Even if we manage to go into that place and we go and we get there, we sit down and pray. Look at verse 7. It says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, Jesus will say a lot of kind words to pagans in his time on earth. So we'll get to that here in the cup. But the, he uses a buzzword, pagans, because one, pagans were looked down on. And pagans were just everyone else. You know, if us and them is a thing, the, the family of God, the Jewish family of God was like us and pagans were them. All of them. Okay? And Jesus says, don't be like people who say all the words or enough of the words in the right order to get what they want from the gods. Basically is what he said. Have you done this? 
By the way, we do this just because we're not pagans. We do it all the time. Or we think we're not pagans, right? I don't know about you, but I've tried to find the right words in the right order to get God to fill in the blank. Have you done this? It doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. Jesus says, don't babble. Don't come up with spells that you think will twist the arm of God into thinking that you're good enough or that you've done the right things or that your heart is contorted in the right position that I'm humble enough, God, you can go ahead and give me the exact thing that I want. Have you, done, have you played these games with God? I have. Maybe I'm the only one. But I have played these games with God over and over and over again. Jesus says, you need to scrap all your games, all of your pretense, all of your babbling, and you need to get quiet, and you need to pray simply, and then he's going to teach us to pray simply. You know, I also think this applies to if you think that you have to get like passionate enough, you have to feel the right feelings in order for prayer to work. I think Jesus scraps kind of all of that. He says in verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It isn't to get anything that we pray, friends. It isn't to inform God of something. It isn't to get the attention of a father that gives us a good parent that gives us all the attention we could ever need or want. It's none of that. I mean, a lot of times I think we think we're informing God of like great information that he's not privy to when we pray. God, are you aware that this person is sick? God, did you know that I really need X, Y, and Z? God, I know you're busy, but, you know, that whole mentality, Jesus just says, like, he's your dad. And he know. have you seen this with children? Children that will inform you of, like, things that you know, you know? Like, they're telling the news of, like, did you know that? Yeah, of course, I, I know everything. <laughs> As a parent, right? I know everything that you've done. I know what you're thinking. I know, and I don't know everything. But think of God and how he knows everything about us. And how we're kids like trying to, do you see? Do you know? Do you understand? He's like, yeah, I see everything. Yeah, I know everything. I understand what's keeping your cells together. It's me. (laughs) All of those things to say that Jesus is saying, your father knows you. Prayer is revolutionized as a practice when we are liberated from many words. When we are liberated from hoops you have to jump through. From games that you have to play. It isn't really what does God need to know. The question will eventually become what needs to be said. What do I need to do in this relationship? How does my heart need to change as I pray? Now you can understand why the following ends up being so simple. And why it is so short. Here's the prayer that Jesus taught to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's Lutherans, trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Sins, for those who have sinned against us. We've got it in all different ways and shapes and forms, right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And my Lutheran training from kid comes in, from yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, right? Which is not in there, it's in other later kind of additions to the Lord's prayer. But this is the prayer, and it's simple. It's so simple. 
So simple. Mind, almost, it's, it's so simple that Jesus will teach it as a scaffolding to hang your prayer life on. Jesus will pray other words than these words. Do you hear me? It's not that these words are a spell. It's not that these words are magic words, necessarily. It's that these words bring with them the fabric, the foundation that we build our prayer life on. When Jesus will pray in the garden, and he'll pray for all of us in the garden later on as he's facing his execution, his prayer will be hung upon this prayer. You will see the roots of it in this prayer. And the roots of all good prayer, and I've got to be careful with that good, but the roots of all prayer that's meaningful will come back to the simple, basic thing we find in this prayer. So what is he saying? Our Father in heaven, praise be your name. Jesus, in his announcement right away is that we are in the family of God. Jesus welcomes us back to the family of God by the first two words. Our Father. This is the gift that Jesus gives us. He gives us God as our good parent. This word is rendered respectable in the English as father, right? Father, like 1950s and before. My father. I don't know if those of you who were alive in the 50s said father, but we don't. Father is this word with respect, right? It's this word with mm, father. Mm, yeah. In the Aramaic, the language that Jesus is speaking, it's daddy. It's, it's not the distant father like at his office that you've got a hat in hand come to. It's, it's the guy that you run into his arms, daddy. It's the tickle monster, right? That's the word. That's the word our father that Jesus uses. And now that might bring up something for a lot of us. Because some of us didn't have a tickle monster. We had an actual one. Okay? So one of the, one of the gifts that Jesus gives us is that our Father in heaven is good. Good. It's not the monster, if that's your experience, or if that's what you had in your life. His first announcement is that you are in God's family. It's a hug. These words, our Father, are a hug. Our Father, all of us. All of us. It's not just my Father. It's all of us. It's corporate. Prayer begins with the identification of everyone in relationship to God. If God is the good parent of all of us, what are we to each other? Brothers and sisters, siblings, right? So oh, we've got two words. I could spend multiple sermons on two words. Because our Father brings us in. It draws us close. It gives us a hug. And it relates us to each other in a way that's healthy and meaningful and powerful for us. It's in heaven, in the heavens, which was in the original language. It wasn't just in the heaven, it was in the heavens. We find that heaven is not up because we've gone up quite a ways, right? That heaven is out. It is out. And so when we say our Father in the heavens, we're saying that God is here, but he's also elsewhere, and there's a place where he is and where everything is as he wants it, which will come up later in the prayer. Notice that I, me, and mine are not found in this prayer. Pronouns matter. And all the English teachers said amen, right? There's no I. There's no me. There's no mine. There's no I want, I want, I want, me, 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 now, now, now in this prayer. There's not. It doesn't come up here. It begins with our Father in heaven. Hallowed, weighty, significant, glorious. May your name be recognized for what it is. If God's name is praised, where does that leave us? 
unconcerned about our own praise, right? If God is praised by us, it means we have a healthy relationship with what we are experiencing. This isn't, may God's name be praised when things are going well. This is unending, enduring, constant praise, always. Even through clenched teeth sometimes and tears. This is a prayer begun with the acceptance of what is and a renunciation of the clinging, clutching prayers. It goes on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, your will against all other wills and all other kingdoms. A call for God to make this universe completely right, completely whole. This is nothing less than a call for peace and for justice and for mercy and for righteousness to be done all over the planet. On earth, on, in every place on earth, in my heart, in history, in the hearts of my brothers and sisters, in the heart of this city and this state and this nation and this planet. Jesus told everyone they were the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A call for God's kingdom to come is a call for him to empower people and help us as we live in ways that demonstrate the kingdom of God to the world. And in case you think that I was being too up there with that, he goes on to say, give us our daily bread. Again, pronouns matter. Not give me my daily, not give me my unending smorgasbord, right? We're in Western society here, right? So when we hear give us our daily bread, we want to raise our hands and say, we got that covered. We don't have that covered for everyone. This is a call for the daily needs of all people to be met on earth, the whole thing, as it is in heaven. One of the things Jesus is saying with this prayer that is as long as there are people who are hungry, this prayer is relevant. Like as long as there's systems that break down where people don't get what they need to live today, this prayer is powerful. Give us our daily bread is this community call for everybody to have enough. Everybody. All the daily needs of everyone on the planet. Bread requires money. Bread requires society to function. Bread requires work. Bread requires a functioning government. We're praying for everything needed for human flourishing. How do you feel when you're praying this and you have a lot more than what you need? If I'm praying this earnestly, then I'm going to be praying for God and for his kids to address a world where people are going without daily necessities for their flourishing. I'm going to be drawn into that. I can't pray that prayer and just like mumble it or think of the feast that I'm about to consume, right? I've got to think about my brothers and sisters that don't have their daily bread. Not ironically next is and forgive us our sins or our trespasses or our debts as we forgive those who sinned against us. There was this concept in rabbinical Judaism around Jesus' time. This idea that your, your sins and your failures and your good deeds were like a bank account. You may have heard this talked about in different ways in different spiritual traditions. That like when you sin, when you fail, it's a debit. It's a debit. It's like a brick that separates you from God. And if I sin here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here, pretty soon I have a wall that separates me from God. It was a very accountant-minded way of, like, talking about sin. And so when Jesus institutes this prayer, 
And he uses the word debts. That's why the word debts is in the prayer and why it gets translated that way for the English. It's because in Jesus' time, it was thought about as like I owe a debt to God. And if I do a good thing, I might be able to erase that debt. Jesus just comes over to all of that and just flips it over. Forgive us our debts, he says. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. Zero out our accounts. Do you understand the boldness of that? I mean, because this isn't a time where people thought they had to kill stuff to settle accounts. And when, like, in our society, in our time, like, penance is a thing. And, like, righting the wrong and making sure we're, we catch up is a thing. Jesus says, that's not a thing for my people. My people come to their father and they ask for zeroed out balances. And you know what they do? They can come and ask that. And the only way that you can come and ask that, he'll say to us here at the end of the prayer, is like a postscript to the prayer. The only way that you can be bold enough to come to your father and to ask for forgiveness. It's like the classic siblings that are bickering at each other, right? And they're just bickering. They're going at it. They've been mean and nasty. And then one of them does something wrong. And you're right there. And they ask you, I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry, dad. Well, what about your relationship with your brother or sister? You know, Jesus says, if we're going to be so bold, and you should be, because you're loved by your father, if you're going to be so bold to come to him, you better go to each other. Because he's saying that we, he's assuming, Jesus assumes in this prayer that we will be a people of forgiveness. He says, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, there's a big theological argument about this because literally a little while ago, and in other passages, the Bible says that the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Maybe you've heard that text before. And that in different texts in the Bible, you have this idea that God would, would maybe lead us into temptation. <laughs> and what does that mean related to this text? Well, it may seem like a clever bit of semantics to some, but I think it's really important to talk about the difference here. You know, when, when Jesus says that we should pray, lead us not into temptation, we will be tempted. We will be but when Jesus is saying, lead us not to temptation and deliver, like, deliver us, he's saying, make us conquerors over the challenges and over the temptations that we're going to face as people. May this temptation not be the one that gets me or gets my brothers and sisters, but lead us through, lead us into deliverance, that we would be triumphant over evil. I want you to notice something about this prayer, too. That, that lead us out of darkness, lead us away from evil. The flow of the prayer is this. Give us food. Give us forgiveness. Give us guidance. I want you to take a step back. Give us food. Give us forgiveness. Give us guidance. Does that help us give us a flow for how we should help other people? Give us food. Give us forgiveness. Give us guidance. Do we ever go, like, flip the order? Like, let me tell you what to do, and then maybe I'll forgive you. And are you hungry? You know? Jesus gives us a flow that is powerful for this prayer. And that he ends with this, it's so funny because 
I, I, I make fun of Lutherans occasionally because I was kind of one a little bit when I was a kid. I dabbled in Lutheranism as a kid, right? Um, so I, I think like straight-laced Lutherans with ending with deliver us from the evil one was too dark, you know, too raw. And it wasn't just Lutherans, by the way. But I feel like this addendum that we add to it for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's like a way of just dropping the mic and being like, we don't want to end with the Satan. So we're going to end with this poetic ending of the prayer. Ta-da. And we're just going to stick the landing for Jesus because he doesn't. You know? Jesus ends this prayer in a raw, open-ended way. On purpose. On purpose. That you would add what is going on. That you would build upon the scaffolding that he has provided for your prayer life. Later the church added, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I still pray it this way. It's like tattooed on my heart to pray it that way. And it's great. But just in case you misunderstood, one last postscript that Jesus gives. And this is our last text. And then we're going to do some more praying today. Hang, hang with me. Look at verses 14 and 15. For if you, this, is, this is kind of the only time Jesus does this. Says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, hearing this, I always thought that this is like a condemning thing that Jesus says, you know? Like, God will judge you if you don't forgive other people in your life. But I actually, as I got, if I've gotten older, it seems like Jesus is just saying, like, the sky is blue and gravity works. Because how do you forgive someone who can't forgive someone else? It's not a thing you can do. If my heart is hard... And bitter and locked down. It's not, it's not even that he wouldn't. It's that he can't. Like what? I'm going to pry your bitterness out of your cold dead hands. And make and just give you forgiveness. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. At the end of this prayer. Jesus gives this proscript. Because he wants his followers to know. To know that we know that we know. That if we're going to come to God as our dad. As daddy. If we're going to jump on his lap. And we're going to hug him. And we're going to be seen by him. We have to see each other. We have to forgive each other. We have to grow in our forgiveness of each other. We're going to spend the rest of our time just praying this prayer one more time. And we're going to pray it together. And like I said before, we're going to pray it as a paraphrase. So I'm going to do the same thing I did at the beginning with reading each line and giving you some time. But we're going to do some reflection in between that. And I'm going to try to make it a little more, maybe how we would speak about it, okay? After talking and after teaching through it. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to think about your quote-unquote prayer life for a second. How's it going? Again, I don't ask that to guilt anyone, to judge anyone. Before you pray this prayer, I want you to maybe to confess the ways that you've come before God, that you come to Him in prayer that aren't, are out of bounds. Is there anything you're doing to be seen by others instead of to be seen by your good parent who loves you?
Do you use too many words? Have you been babbling a lot? Are you trying to inform the creator of the universe things that he doesn't know? Let me just take a few minutes. Where does that hit you? Now let's pray what Jesus taught us to pray together. Just use some time for reflection. Really simmer on the words. Our Father, our Creator, our good parent in heaven. Father, would you be significant and heavy and weighty and beautiful in the world? May your kingdom come into all of our little kingdoms. Make all of our places your place. May this world, our hearts, our relationships, our cities, our nations, our work, our school, bring heaven out everywhere. Give all of us what we need. Make us generous as you are generous. Help us help others. Thank you for your abundance. Forgive our failures, all of them. Forgive our failure to be generous, our failure to be kind, our failures to let your kingdom come and invade our sad little worlds. We don't come for forgiveness without forgiving. We forgive those who have failed us. Don't lead us into the wilderness to die, to fail, to give up our identity as your children. Deliver us, save us from the evil one, from darkness, from despair. Conquer the darkness in us and equip us to bring light everywhere. Everything is yours. Everything is yours. All the kingdoms, all power, all weight, all beauty, all significance, everything is yours.
Father, I just want to ask that you would take this prayer and have it remake our whole thinking about prayer. Our whole thinking about coming to you and trying to inform you of something or get something from you. Father, would you change our minds and our hearts to realize that you're a good dad. We are a good parent. We can come to you and be seen and be loved. And we can love others. So equip us, God, as we go out from this place to love other people, to, to do righteousness, to do, do good things, not to be seen, knowing that we're already seen. But that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, God. Thank you for this time and for this place and for this people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Come on back next week for more in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, if you're giving an offering, there is a box in the back. Have a great week.